0: all right well we're going to be in psalm 24 this morning and as you turn there um our world has been very aware of the concept of distance recently right how close is too close how can we be appropriately near each other and and right now the conventional wisdom says anything closer than six feet or Two meters, if you live anywhere else in the world, uh, is too close. So churches are setting up chairs in their auditoriums at specific distances. Uh, Stores are laying out tape on the ground uh, to help their shoppers maintain that distance. But how far is six feet, really? I mean, some of us, including myself, are not very good at guesstimating even that distance. It's not part of our day job. Well, people have begun to think outside the box in order to communicate this distancing effectively. So one Florida county is telling people to stay one alligator apart. Uh, In Australia, it's one kangaroo. In Montana's Department of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, it's either, and take your pick, four trout, two shovel-nosed sturgeon, or one paddlefish. In Colorado, it's the length of one ski. In Yukon, Canada, it's one caribou. But on that same sign, in in small print on the bottom, which the lawyer has probably added, it says, please stay at least 300 feet away from actual caribou. (laughs) I I think perhaps the most helpful sign I've seen so far is the one posted at a post office in Boston that just says, stay wicked far, pop. And I was hoping Paul would be here for that, but I'll tell you later, Paul, if you don't know already. Well, as we come to the middle portion of Psalm 24 this morning, we see a question of that same type, don't we? How can we draw near? Specifically, how can we approach God in worship and be acceptable to him? So we were blessed last week to hear from our brother Scott Welch. Uh, I'm grateful for his service to us. Two weeks ago over at the Asados, we started Psalm 24. And Lord willing, we'll wrap it up next week at Franklin Park. But last week, we saw in the first two verses of Psalm 24, just this incredible authority of God. Uh, We saw that he is the creator king. I'll get this down by the time we're done. Uh, So David begins Psalm 24 by saying, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And our our kind of overall thing we learned during that study was that God is the creator king. He is earth's owner. And now this morning we come to verses 3 through 6. And if verses 1 through 2 describe the creator king, verses 3 through 6 show us how we can approach the creator king. Uh, He is the holy creator. We are the sinful creature. So how in the world can we draw near to him in worship because there's this built-in distance between god and sinners so who shall stand in his holy place well for the answer let's turn to verses 3 through 6 of psalm 24. david writes who shall ascend the hill of the lord and who shall stand in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. All right, well, what do we see in these four verses then? I would like to see just three simple things. A question... An answer and a savior. A question and answer and a savior. So where's the question? It's right there in verse 3, right? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? What's in view view here is the the tent of Yahweh, uh, what would become the grand temple under Solomon's reign. Uh, The tent was a place God met with his people, Israel at this time in Jerusalem, a city on a hill, who shall ascend the hill. Uh, This was the place where sacrifices and offerings would be made to a holy God. And so while the exact uh, context of this psalm is debated, is it when David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Obed-Edom? Is it just a, a psalm of kind of kingship, a more general psalm? Uh, What we can see is just a question about how a worshiper can approach a holy God in his holy place This is the God remember who owns the whole world and he has chosen to be present in some capacity with his people But there needs to be some sort of distance still Not just anyone can approach the holy God So David asks what are the qualifications? What are the qualifications for one who would ascend the hill of the Lord and stand before him? A, a close partner to this psalm, you can read it later this afternoon if you want, is Psalm 15. It's pretty much identical in places. Uh, beginning uh, the beginning of that psalm, David asks the same basic question. He says, O oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? It's an important question, and obvious one, obviously one that David Uh, reflected on more than once see we see we saw last time in this psalm that god is creator and that he has designed us for his glory that our existence is from him and through him and to him that means that that fullness of joy is reached when we stand before him because one of the questions i think we should ask when we come to this psalm is why in the world would we even want to risk it Because there's fullness of joy there. Because that's what we were created for. We want this. We need this. But how do we ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? God is holy. We sang that just a few moments ago. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And when we say God is holy, we mean both that he is utterly above and beyond his creation and that he is completely devoted to his own glory. Now that's why we can be called holy, because we are devoted to his glory as his people. See, Jim read it just a few moments ago. He has called his people to be holy as well, completely devoted to his glory, set apart from the world, and consecrated for the worship and service of our king. This is a high calling, and God's holiness is frightful, for the sinner you think of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he sees the, the holiness of the Lord and he cries out woe is me I am lost God's holiness is no joke who can ascend his holy hill and stand in his holy place Spurgeon wrote it is uphill work for the creature to reach the Creator So take a moment to reorient your perspective on life right now from this first verse we're considering, verse three. So it's been seven days since we were last together in God's word as a church family. And in those seven days, it can be easy to slip into prioritizing, strategizing, and living for our own glory, devoted to our own fame, set apart for our own reputation. My friend, that pursuit is vanity. It's emptiness. God, the creator king, will get all the glory in the long run. So this is a good opportunity for us then to just ask, who are we living for? We need to to humble ourselves once again before a holy God. Who can ascend his holy hill? Who can stand in his holy place? Well, in verse 4, we get the answer to that question. David writes, Who's this? What Who's, who are the qualifications for this guy? Whoever it is to, to walk before the Lord in his holy place? I'll tell you. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, Psalm 15 has a similar list. This is the character. These are the qualifications for the the worshiper to draw near to the Lord in his sanctuary. And David isn't just interested in the the kind of external actions of this worshiper, right? He's interested in his very heart. We see that right there in the first line. Because not only does he say, you must have clean hands, but you must have a pure heart. So that, that first... Requirement for the worshiper to approach the king is clean hands So we've all become good friends with with hand sanitizer over the last few months. That's not what David's getting at What's in view here is? innocence in deed and action what your hands do those things are innocent of evil of violence There's a a contrasting example in Isaiah chapter one. There God is speaking to his people and he says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. See, the hands of God's people in Isaiah one are not innocent hands. They have shed blood. They have committed violence towards others. And so here in Psalm 24, one of the requirements of the worshiper coming near are clean hands. Innocence in deed and in action. But that's not as far as David digs. He digs even deeper. This person must also have a pure heart. So his deeds must reflect what's really on the inside. He must be holy in his motivations, holy in his purposes. So the Bible scholar Desmond Alexander writes about this appearance of holiness is not enough because clean hands are expressive of a pure heart See, in God's eyes appearing holy appearing religious appearing devout is not enough in in many areas of our lives just showing up is good is sufficient yeah, you might be, want to excel in certain things in your work or your school. But just showing up often can get the job done. Not with God. So our hearts are what he's after. So, church member, if Loudoun Valley Baptist is known for one thing, I hope it's known as a place where being holy is more important than appearing holy. So who cares what Joe Schmo thinks of you for the brief five years that you're co-members of the same local church in comparison with what God thinks of you for all eternity. Joe Schmo sees your your external actions and you can please him, you can impress him for years. It's not the case with God. God sees the heart. So if you're tempted to being content with mere appearance, take action. Talk to someone you know and trust in this church and divulge ways you're struggling with your faith, with your life. Ask them for prayer. Prayer. That, that might sound terrifying, but I hope you can see that it's much more terrifying to try to bear the weight of your struggles by yourself and put on a pretty face for everyone every Sunday for years to come. That sounds exhausting. The next requirement for the worshiper to draw near is that he does not lift up his soul to what is false. Not lift our souls to another. Yeah, you know that song. So there are different uh, ways of interpreting uh, this phrase. So some just run it parallel with the very next phrase and say, all that's really in view here is just dishonesty. And dishonesty is certainly in view, but I think there's something more going on. So what does it mean to lift up your soul? All we need to do is look about four or five verses ahead. Psalm 25, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And then what's the parallel that helps flesh out what that means? Oh, my God, in you I trust. What's in view here, I think, is trust, is worship, is dependence. And so what David's saying here in this verse is, I, this person who would approach God must not trust or lean on any other thing, any false thing, any idol, any false idol. God. So in some translations, you'll even see idol mentioned here. So if there's an element of trust here, then trusting in what is false is trusting in either a false God or or a a man or woman to, to, uh, to execute what you need in your life or some sort of stratagem in your life. No, the one who would worship God in his holy place must trust in the Lord alone. all other gods can never ultimately deliver on their promise and you know what that makes them false gods finally this worshiper must not swear deceitfully he must be honest upright full of integrity in psalm 15 david says this person must be one who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change In other words, this is the man or woman who, when speaking the truth, does so even when it costs them. And God sees that, though others might not. And so we come to verse 5. If these requirements are met, then this worshiper will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. He will be vindicated in his character. He will have God's righteousness given to him. He will receive the favor of Yahweh. Blessing will be granted to him from God. This is the group of people, the generation. That's kind of what generation means there. Kind of the the group of those that ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. They are the ones who seek God. They are the ones who are blessed by God. They are the ones who seek the face of the God of Jacob. They are his people. Their hearts are his. They follow after him. But have you ever gotten to a psalm in your quiet time or in a church service and you're just kind of like, that doesn't compute. I hope that after reading verses three and four, you're scratching your head a little bit. You're saying, if God is holy and and he demands his people to be holy, to come to him, if, if he blesses those who come like this, then are we saved by being good enough? Can we approach because we haven't committed evil deeds with our hands, because we have a pure enough heart, because we have not worshiped a false God? I think I might have done all three of those things in the past seven days. How can we approach God? Is there hope in this psalm? We always say we cannot earn God's blessing. So is this a a part where the Old Testament is just saying something different? How do we apply this to us? We've seen the question. We've seen the answer. We need to see the Savior. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands. Who is innocent of wrongdoing. 1 John 3, 5. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? David says, he who has a pure heart, who doesn't just appear holy, but who is holy. John 6, verse 68. Peter says to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed you are the holy one of God. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? David says, the one who does not lift up his soul to what is false, the one who does not worship false gods. Luke 4, verse 8. And Jesus answered, Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? He who does not swear deceitfully, David says. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Dear church family, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Jesus can. Jesus is the perfect worshiper, the true Israelite. The ideal follower of God who can approach a holy God in his holy place on his own merits of his own obedience and be acceptable in the Lord's sight. Jesus can do that. And Jesus did it. He entered God's holy place for us as the forerunner of our salvation. Jesus did all this. He was blessed by God, but then he was nailed to a cross. And he experienced God's curse. See, the last hill Jesus climbed was not a hill to the the temple of God, but the hill to the cross. And on Mount Golgotha, Jesus bore the sin of you and me so we can approach God in his holy place with acceptable praise. So if we are really to come before God, we can only do so united to Jesus Christ. In him, in the one who is acceptable to a holy God, in him we stand. This is a concept of union with Christ that has just blown my mind over the past year or two. The fact that what Jesus did, he not only does so that we can follow him, but he actually lets us do in him. So when Jesus died we died with him. When he was raised, we were raised with him, like we looked at in our inductive Bible study this past Wednesday night. And when he entered acceptable to God into his holy place, we have too. And we will finally do that. And hopefully in the not too distant future. So friend, perhaps you're striving, you're seeking to make God happy with you. Maybe you wouldn't phrase it that way, I mean that sounds kind of you know works righteousnessy, but that's kind of how you're living that's pretty much the way others would characterize your life. so you do your your devotions in the morning religiously, not because you you just you want to be disciplined and seek the Lord, but because you're convinced that like some sort of talisman, doing that will somehow make your day go right. Uh, you don't use curse words, you don't watch certain movies you don't drink something or listen to something so that god will see that and be pleased with you and give you righteousness not all those things are bad but if that's you just give up please that's an empty endeavor Instead, run to Jesus, run to him, trust in him, repent of your sin and receive his righteousness, his holiness. And in that, you will be fitted to go before God and be acceptable to him. If you, if you have questions about what it means to be united to Jesus, to have his righteousness imputed to you, given to you, credited to your account, and your sin then credited to his... We'd love to talk about that more. That's the gospel. And that's what makes you able to approach God in his holy place. I can't wait to shout out that good news with you in our, in our closing hymn, which mentions words like ascend and holy place. And, and Christian, we, we began by, by thinking about distance, didn't we? Let me encourage you, speaking of distance, Do you know that one of the farthest things from you this morning, if you're in Christ, is not God, but your sin? David writes in Psalm 103 verse 12, so far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That doesn't just mean like as far as California is from Washington DC. That means wrapping around the, the circumference diameter, whatever it is, of the earth the other way is endless. And going the other way is endless. In other words, they're as far apart from each other as is humanly possible, and more so. And Christian, speaking of distance, do you know what's one of the closest things to you this morning? It's not your sin. It's the spirit of the living God. When you couldn't ascend to God, he's actually descended to you and indwells you. In Romans 8, verse 11, Paul writes, It's... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Christians, just allow Psalm 24 verses 3 through 6 to just help you feast your soul on the beauty and mercy of Christ this morning. He has done what you could never do. But before we leave this middle part of this psalm behind, I think we would be missing something if we just ended here. Because I don't think we should just merely read this psalm, realize we can't reach his demands, look to Jesus, and feel happy. Even though I think that's a big part of what we should do. See, all that is right and good. It's necessary and beautiful. But Christian, God cares about the way you live. Now that you are in Christ. And he's actually given you the ability by his spirit to live and grow in holiness. So in Jesus, you're justified. You are holy. Nothing you do today can make God happier or not happier or make you more justified or less justified than you are right now in Christ. Nothing can make God love you more than he loves you right now. However, since the Spirit of God now works in you, he is transforming you more into the likeness of the Holy Son of God. In Christ, you are becoming more like Christ. And so with that firm foundation uh, underfoot, I think then we can, with more faithfulness, read this text and apply it to our lives right now. With that firm foundation, we can go to verse 4 and, and ask, does this, does this, do these qualifications characterize my life as a Christian? So think about it. Are your actions free of wrongdoing towards others? And when they are not, have you repented and sought forgiveness? Is your heart soft towards the Lord, open before his gaze and the gaze of others? so that you might not fool yourself into just appearing holy, but being holy? Are you fighting the good fight, battling the temptation to worship other things in your life besides the Lord? Do your verbal commitments, your promises, do they deceive others or are they reflecting the truth? See Christian, little by little, God in his kindness is making you more holy. And by doing so, he's preparing you for heaven. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Heaven. Heaven, that final ascent to that final holy place. Dwelling there forever, not on our own merits, but on the merits of another. The merits of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be a group that is known for seeking the Lord in this way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm that encourages us, that makes us look towards Jesus. This psalm is all about Jesus. We know that. We thank you how we can also, at the same time, uh, be caused to think about our own holiness and the power of the indwelling spirit to make us more like Jesus. Oh, Lord, would you do that in our hearts and in our lives? I pray for anybody here today, myself included, who is just caught in a little bit of an of appearance trap. It's so important to us to kind of keep up our guard and our face before others that, that we've never really divulged some of the deepest secrets of our hearts to those we trust and ask for help. Lord, would you give us the courage to do that? Because Jesus has already died for those things and we are no longer to be judged by them. We pray for anybody here who doesn't know you. Lord, that this verse would, would kind of divest them of any idea that, that Christianity is a religion of doing good works and would cause them to look to the good works of the Savior instead. We pray, Lord, that your word would take deep root in our hearts from Psalm 24. In Jesus' name, amen.